Welcome to an episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tiamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are joined by Land Grant Holy Land's men's basketball expert, Connor Lamonts, Connor, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Expert is uh, expert is so generous. I'm always so flattered when you say <laughs> that, but I'm doing yeah. well. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to have somebody, and you're the guy who writes about basketball the most. So, by default, you are our expert. <laughs> but um, no, but it's great because we are officially past football season now. Although Ohio State football never really ends, uh, but we are in the thick of Ohio State basketball season, and it's pretty exciting because they are ranked in the top 15. They're number 13, despite having some, you know, some ups and downs due to injuries and, and some other crazy stuff because of COVID. Um, But they're actually playing pretty well at times, despite having some pretty obvious flaws and issues, but they are playing in the best conference in college basketball. So the fact that they are as highly ranked as they are, they're 12 and four overall six and four in the big 10. Like that's, pretty good isn't it kind of like i feel like we should be pleased with what we've seen as a whole so far from chris holtman chris holtman's team yeah i think that they have um i mean i thought they were going to be a pretty good team i think when we when we talked in um whenever it was yeah, early yeah, november yeah. i think i told you that this could be the team that goes the farthest for any of holtman's teams so far um and i think you're kind of seeing because of the depth that they have that um, you know, they, they could go pretty far in the tournament. I'm still kind of on the fence if like, all right, are these guys like legit, really good? Cause every time they have a really good game, then they lay like a stinker, like the Purdue game. So I'm kind of on the fence of if they're like a really, really good team, like final four elite eight kind of good, or if they're like, maybe make the sweet 16 good. But regardless, um, they've, they've definitely, you know, accomplished a lot, especially with like what you said with injuries and sickness and all the stuff going on. One of the main issues that we've seen recently uh, for the Buckeyes is the fact that both of their like legit point guards, well, I guess they just picked up a third point guard, but we'll get to him in a second. But their two main veteran point guards, CJ Walker uh, and Jimmy Sotos, are both out with injury or had been out with injuries. CJ Walker came back uh, for some time in the win over Wisconsin on uh, on Saturday. But the issue kind of showed itself with the fact that they didn't really have anybody to bring the ball up the floor. And while I think they have enough athletes to be able to handle that for most games and at most times in the game, that really has become an issue down the stretch. Like in that Purdue game that you mentioned, when Purdue cranked up its defense and really tried to lock down on, you know, kind of putting the finishing touches on a double-digit comeback, they really just didn't have anybody for the Buckeyes to bring the ball up the floor. What did you see from C.J. Walker on Saturday against the Badgers, and do you think that he is going to be well enough down the stretch to be able to do that in close games when his team needs him the most? Yeah, he just, everything looks calmer when he's there. Everything looks more smooth. Um, The problem with the Purdue game, it kind of looked like you know, the phrase that they'll use a lot is like the ball is sticking. Like you're not seeing them like swinging the ball around, across, you know, around the perimeter. They're not, it's not crisp passing. They don't look like they completely know what's going on. I mean, they know what's going on, but especially in the end of that Purdue game, it was like the offense just looked disjointed and like, all right, who, you know, what's going on here exactly? How are we going to handle this? When CJ's in there, everything is just so much smoother. You know, he's confident. 
He's a fifth year. He's like 23 years old. Um, he, you know, he knows what's going on and he's not going to score, you know, 20 points a game for you. He's probably not going to light up the box score, but, um, he's like a calming presence for them. And he's just, he knows what he's doing out there. He's got a lot of experience. Um, and a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, they look better without him. I think that they won despite not having him, yeah. not because he wasn't there. Yeah, well, and they went three and one without him, but it, kind of, kind of those other games were um, a little bit more suited to the Buckeyes being able to uh, kind of out athlete some of their opponents. But in a game where they needed some veteran leadership and a clear head down the stretch, that's where they really suffered. Um, the other issue, and I guess we might as well just get all the negatives out of the way at the top of the show uh, before we get into the good stuff, Connor. But like the other main issue that we've seen that also kind of reared its head in the Purdue game is the fact that Ohio State really does not have a legitimate center. Like they've got, I guess they've got some guys who you can consider like real good post players. But even that is a little bit of a stretch. Like they've got guys who play down there and can do a good job. But they don't have anybody to body up um, the really big, powerful centers in the Big Ten. And that could be a problem down the stretch in the Big Ten, in the Big Ten tournament, if that actually happens. And then depending on who they match up with in, uh, uh, in the NCAA tournament. What are your thoughts on Ohio State needing to figure out how to deal with bigs uh, down the stretch? And whether that's this season or in the future, what do you think we can expect from that position? Yeah, that that's going to make it tough on them, not just this year, but, you know, next year and, and the following year, because they don't have a they don't have a center or a big guy committed for this next recruiting class, um, which what would that be? The graduating class of, I guess, 2021. They don't have a they already have two or three guys in the 2022 class. They don't have a center in that class either. Um, I think it's kind of a give and take that, you know, Holtman, I'm sure, loves to have four or five guys who are between, you know, six foot five and six foot seven who he can, you know, roll out there and basically guard one through four. But the part that bites you is kind of like you said, when you have like a Kofi Coburn, which the Buckeyes did awesome guarding him. That is not how I thought that would go at all. But generally like a Kofi Coburn or like when they play Luca Garza, you know, Iowa, they, they can't roll Kyle Young or EJ Liddell down there to go one-on-one with that guy in the post. It's not going to go well. So, uh, this season, short term, it's probably going to cause them some problems. And in, in the NCAA tournament, it could definitely cause them a big problem. But in the long term, you look at the way Holtman recruits, and you have to wonder if you know he's intentionally doing this. Does he like the the versatility of having several guys, or has he just not been able to lock up? You know, maybe he has been recruiting some centers and just didn't secure it in the end. I, I don't know, but it looks like it's going to be a problem for a couple years at least, unless they snag one of these five stars in this current class. Yeah. Or find somebody in the transfer portal, which is always a possibility yeah, uh, in, in college sports these days. But you make a good point. Eight of the Buckeyes top 10 scores are between six, five and six, eight, like eight of your top 10 are all big, you know, fairly big guys, uh, but no one's huge. Um, but I do want to kind of talk about the guy who is, I think by most definitions, um, the truest post force. uh, And that is EJ Liddell, who is having one hell of a season as a sophomore. He's not currently leading the team in scoring, but he is going for 14 and a half points per game. And he is leading the team with 6.8 rebounds. 
uh, per game on the season. He's a sophomore. We talked about him at the beginning of the season. Like he came on at the end of the abbreviated uh, season in 2020. But he's really, really looked good and really looked like he could be the star for Ohio State and a star in college basketball as a whole moving forward if he continues to improve as he has in his two seasons in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, he might be, if you think of the first three or four years of, uh, you know, Holtman's been here, that might be his best recruit that he's gotten. Um, unless yeah. you consider Caleb Wesson his his recruit, which was Thad's recruit that Holtman basically had to go back and, you know, reassure him, you know, hey, you should, you know, you should still stay here and play. If you don't count Caleb, then I think EJ Liddell's is his best recruit, like better than DJ Carton, better than, you know, any of these other guards that he's gotten here too. He's gotten a few really talented guards, Dwayne Washington Jr. Um, Liddell might be the best one out of anybody that he's gotten because, yeah, he's only a sophomore. He, you know, the way that he's been playing lately, he's averaging, you said, 14 and a half. He might finish higher than that by the end of the season if he keeps going like this. So, um, He's he's making it difficult on bigs. He's got a pretty good mid-range jumper, and you saw that in the Illinois game. Is that uh, big guys like Kofi Coburn don't they don't want to wander out towards the elbow or out closer to the three-point line to guard that kind of guy? So they just don't. So they'll give him some space, and if he can hit it, um, he's scoring a lot of points that way. Yeah, and it's been really cool to be able to see him kind of add those things because early in the season, he wasn't doing much outside the painted area. But as the season has progressed, he's moved back a little bit in the lane, moved back to the, uh, you know, to the elbows. Uh, and then he's actually hit some three pointers this season as well. So it's interesting to see him develop a little bit more confidence in the different aspects of his game. Uh, because they need him to do those things. They need him to stretch floors. They need him to pull bigs out of the uh, out of the paint. And it'll be really interesting to see how he continues to improve and perform as the competition gets better down the stretch, as we know it will uh, when they get into the postseason. But you mentioned Dwayne Washington. He is actually leading the team uh, in scoring at 15.3 points per game. We know Dwayne Washington can shoot. We know that he can score. Um, but throughout his time in Columbus, he's been a little hit or miss. Um, this season, though, he seems to, while he's still not shooting great um, in terms of, of percentages, uh, but he's shooting a lot of threes and doing a decent job um, with those threes, but he's just becoming a more consistent scorer and somebody who, in the past, like he could disappear for like three or four games in a row, if not, to be honest with you, half of a season like he did in his freshman year. He just seems to be a guy who Chris Holtman can count on now. And that's been huge without C.J. Walker because Dwayne's done a lot of ball handling, but he's also done a lot of scoring as well. What have you seen from him in the first half-ish of uh, of the 2020-2021 season? Yeah, he's, he's developing into... Um, I would not call him one of the best guards in the country, not even one of the best guards in the conference, but, um, one of the guys that when he gets hot, when he gets hot and he hits, gets a couple to drop in a row, there's nobody else that you want shooting the ball on your team until he cools off. I mean, it is, um, it's unbelievable that, you know, he will, he'll start a game, you know, over four, over five. And then in the middle of a game somewhere, you'll see, you know, Washington with a three pointer, Washington with a three pointer, then another, a layup. And you're like, holy cow, that's like eight, 10 points in a row. So, you know, he gets hot and he gets hot. It always seems like he gets hot right when you need him to get hot too. He's like a big game player. He comes up in big moments. He's not a very efficient scorer. So on the flip side, 
you know, he'll have those little spurts where he's you know really hot and gets yeah. you quick points that you need. But then at the other at the other end of it, you'll have times when you're like, man, like he got like four or five straight misses in a row and fans are on Twitter, you know, getting all upset about, you know, it, it's the give and take because he's not a very yeah. efficient scorer. But when you need him, it seems like he's always there right when you need him. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because we kind of thought of him as a three point shooter early in his careers because that's kind of what he was limited to do. But he is nowhere near the best three point shooter on this team currently. The uh, the man leading three pointers uh, in just about every category for the Buckeyes is Justin Arns. He he is shooting a fifty point seven percent from deep. Like that is absolutely unbelievable. I know early in the season you talked about the fact that he should be starting in the. I'm not even sure if he is starting at this point, but he's playing enough to make uh, a considerable contribution. When I kind of just thought he was like. Just, you know, kind of a practice player and maybe get some stuff down the stretch and blowouts. Yeah, I think that he I think that he's one of the most improved players in the team, actually. Um, I also thought going into the year, he's just kind of a three point shooter. He's going to give you some points. But um, I'd say the last game we played against Wisconsin, he had a really tough defensive game, just like some some dumb, questionable fouls where you're like, man, why would at that point, if Micah Potter's that deep in the paint, why are you even putting hands on him? Those kinds of stuff. Like, what's the point? But Overall, if you watch him, if you key in on him in some of these games, he's rebounding better. He's going after rebounds more aggressively. Um, he's not doing any extra dribbles before he shoots. Like he's catching the ball and immediately just releasing because he's that confident. Um, obviously, he's you know he's the best three point shooter in the Big Ten. I think statistically, I'm trying to pull up the numbers. Um, before the Wisconsin game, he was the best three point shooter in the conference. Um, but he's rebounding better. He's playing better defense. Um, he's all around like he's improved a lot. And if Holtman didn't also notice those things, he wouldn't be playing 20 minutes a game. I mean, he's playing yeah. like 20 minutes a game right now, which is a lot because he trusts him to play at least average defense to give at least a modest effort rebounding. And he knows that if you give him any space at all, I mean, he's hitting every other three pointer he takes, which is absolutely bonkers. So um, he's just part of the formula that, you know, has made this team exceed expectations, especially on the offensive end. I think that Ken Palm has them as like the fifth most efficient offense in the country, which is pretty impressive and pretty surprising. Yeah, we'll get to Ken Palm here here in a minute, but I want to kind of keep going through this team. Um, there are six players who did not play for Ohio State last season who are now contributing in ways large and small. And to some of them, um, you know, and they're kind of mixed results. Some of them have been really exciting. Some of them have a little disappointing. And some of them we don't really know. Uh, but those guys are just assuming who was sitting out last year because of the transfer. Then you have uh, Zed Key, who is a true freshman. You had Seth Towns, who transferred from Harvard, and he only started playing. Did he actually play in at the end, the last game in December? I, I can't remember, but uh, around there, you had Musa Jallo, who was out f with an injury. You have Michi Johnson, who's only been on campus like for two weeks. And then Eugene Brown is the other true freshman uh, on this team. And we've seen some stuff from those freshmen, Key, Johnson, and Brown, where you're like, oh, those guys are pretty good. Um, Seth Towns, when he's had a chance to get in, has looked pretty good. Musa Jallo hasn't gotten on the floor all that much, and Justice Suing has been hit or miss. What are your thoughts on that group collectively? And down the stretch, who are the guys that you think Chris Holtman is going to be able to turn to to hopefully get some production and minutes 
against better competition, whether that's in the Big Ten or in the postseason? Uh, out of the new guys, I think that Justice Suing is probably going to be the one that will be leaned on the most. Um, I mean, he's sure. playing, he's it looks starter. like, yeah. right, 26 minutes a game. Um, just because the freshmen, you know, I don't know, this team's so deep that every one of those guys that you've mentioned has had at least one moment this season where you're like, we Ohio State may not have won that game if it was if it wasn't for say you know Eugene Brown hitting those couple threes in a row in that one game like back to back to back yeah. it was just him. Um, Michi Johnson had I think six points in his second game. Like everybody's contributed to a point where you're like wow if Zed Key wouldn't have had that double double would they have won that game? But I think that Justice Suing is going to be the one that gets the most consistent minutes. He is a proven scorer from, you know, when he played at Cal. I think it's showing that the Big Ten's a lot tougher than the Pac-12. Um, but he's still had a really good, he's had a really good season, you know, 10 points, 5 rebounds a game. Um, so he's going to be the guy that's going to play the most crucial minutes that um, will probably be, in hindsight, looked at as the biggest addition to this team. Um, I think Seth Towns is probably the best player out of those five, but it's just his health. Yeah, and Holtman keeps saying that he's not going to be himself until next season, which is fortunate because... If COVID hadn't have happened, not that we want to say this is a good thing that COVID happened, but if COVID hadn't happened, this would have been his last season or I guess potentially they could have petitioned uh, for another season. But he wouldn't have been able to play this season and next season um, without the NCAA granting an extra year of eligibility for folks. So Seth Towns will presumably be back next season and hopefully better. I want to wrap up like talking about the individual guys um, with with talking about Kyle Young. Kyle Young is a guy who's been on the team for, you know, forever. Basically, he is a uh, uh, he is a senior and he came in uh, the season kind of being thought of as the spark plug as the glue guy. And I think he's kind of been replaced, at least in my mind, um, probably by EJ Liddell in, in that department. But he's still contributing like he's still turning in eight points a game, nearly six rebounds. Like he's still doing Kyle Young things, uh, but he hasn't been as as important of a player for this team as I anticipated he would be uh, at the beginning of the season. He started really slow. He's been getting better. But what is the ceiling for Kyle Young in presumably, I guess not with the COVID situation, but in, in what would normally be his final season? How much more does he have in the tank down the stretch? Uh, not much, I don't think. Um <laughs> I don't not Kyle Young is awesome. And I think if you probably pulled every single coach in the Big Ten, like, hey, would you like one Kyle Young? They're like, yes, I'll take five. Um, he is he's fantastic. You know, all the time in games, you're like, wow, like what a play last game against um, Wisconsin. It was towards the end of the game. He had a huge offensive rebound on a three that Justin Arns mm-hmm. missed and got the offensive rebound, passed it right back out to Arns for a three that I think that was when Wisconsin was cutting it down to like five or six points. Um, but this team is just so deep. It's it's so it's such a deep team. It's wild to think that, you know, oh, you know, in terms of production, Kyle Young is the you know, maybe the fifth or sixth most productive player on this team. So he's scoring eight points a game with six rebounds. I don't think you're going to see him have a game where he scores, you know, 15, 20 points at all this year. Um, he's just on a team where everybody is, is chipping in and he's not going to get a ton of attention. But Ohio State fans know and opposing coaches definitely know um, how important he is to that team. But in terms of production, like how much he's got in the tank, I mean, I think eight points, six rebounds is you know, probably what you're going to get out of him, but he makes huge plays right when you need it too, especially on, you know, offensive rebounds, um, that it's hard to, we always say it. It's like, so 
cliche, but like you can't look at the box score and, and understand how important he is. Well, this is not technically a box score. It is the only advanced analytics that matter in college basketball, and that is Ken Palm. And currently he has, and they change basically after every day, um, there are five Big Ten teams in the top 12. Ohio State is number 12 overall. They sit behind Michigan at number three, and we're going to talk about them in a second. Iowa at number four. Illinois at number seven and Wisconsin, who they just beat uh, at number 11. As you handicap what's left with the last, what, I guess, uh, month and a half of the regular season, we know that Michigan has shut down their entire athletic department. We have no idea when or if they will come back, which has got to be really frustrating for Wolverine fans, and I'm really, really sad and disappointed for them, and my heart aches for all of the pain that they go through all the time. But but um, who's going to win? Who's going to win the Big Ten regular season title? Who's going to win the Big Ten tournament title? Make your prediction now, and then I'm going to make fun of you if you're wrong. <laughs> um, Iowa wins the Big Ten in the regular season, I think. Um, I think that Iowa is clear and obviously the best team in this conference really um, you not giving michigan even like it i would be fine if you said i was the best team but you're like clear and decisive no arguments at all for michigan i don't think that anybody should really have an argument that i was the best team in the big 10 um i think before they lost to indiana when i did the tier article every week i actually had iowa as tier one and then i was going to start tier two with michigan and wisconsin um just because they are perfectly built. They are perfectly built to beat anybody in the country, basically, except maybe Gonzaga, um, because Luca Garza is unbelievable. And then they basically surround him with four guys that if you leave them uncovered are going to hurt you. And they, they score 90 or 95 points a game. They don't play much defense, but they play yeah. just enough defense, you know, whatever. If you score 70, who cares? Cause we score 90. Um, so I think I was the best team. I think they win the Big Ten, and I thought that before Michigan shut down. So I don't know how that's going to work out if, say, Michigan misses their next four games. If they end up, like, whatever, 15 and, and, and 2, and let's say Iowa ends up at 17 and 3 or something, or 18 and 2, I don't know. I think Iowa's better than Michigan. I think they win I think they win the regular season title, and I, I don't think it's shared with anybody. Um, and then the, the Big Ten tournament, that is... I, I don't know. That, that's that's a shoot. tough one to pick. The only thing that I would say is I don't know if they'll win it or not, but I would say watch out for Rutgers in the Big Ten tournament um, <laughs> because their starting five is so good and they haven't really been healthy since basically the first Ohio State game. Um, and that's the way, hold on. That's the one where the refs cheated and stole the game and gave it to Ohio State, right? That's that's where the refs cheated and t- gave Ohio State the win in Columbus. So right, obviously, okay. when they replay it in New Jersey, the Rutgers is going to win. Except it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, no. Damn refs. Their, their starting five is so good. Their starting five is so good that if they could learn how to shoot a free throw, like even just one single free throw, I, like. They were they were like a top ten team in the beginning of the season. Rutgers is yeah. so good, so I don't think that they're going to win the Big Ten tournament. But it wouldn't shock me at all if like they made it to like the championship game or the semifinals. Wow, just more opportunities for the refs to steal games in high pressure situations for <laughs> the uh, for the Scarlet Knights. Really feel bad for those guys. Um, all right, so 
coming into the season, I think you said that you thought Ohio State would finish fourth to sixth in the Big Ten. They are currently fifth. Do you think that you were just right? Like, yes, we got I got it right. I knew that's where they were going to be. Or do you think that as guys get healthy, uh, as you get some guys a little bit more experience in this offense, do you see them being able to climb up a rung or two to maybe make it and contend for the top three to like for the number three spot in the conference? Well, because I'm the resident expert, of course, I was just I was spot on. That's exactly what I right. thought was going to happen. Totes. Totes. But, but actually, um, I'm to, I'm on the fence with them. Um, like some days I think that, you know, the reason I get so upset and agitated with them when they lose is because you see them play a game like Illinois yeah. and then they come back and go Purdue. So when they play Illinois like that, you're like, are they the second or third best team in the Big Ten? Like, could they maybe go up there and flirt with a Big Ten championship? And then they go and they play Purdue and they get outscored by 30 points in the paint. And you're like, oh, OK, no, that's just another year where they're going to get bounced in the first round or second round, I guess. I'll give them their due. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm on the fence between the two. Um, I am really interested to see what these next three go, because I think that Penn State and Michigan, um, Mich- sorry, Michigan State are two very winnable games, both at home. Then you're eight and four in conference play. Um, you're up there in the top four and like the double buy for the Big Ten tournament, potentially. And then they see Iowa. So if they beat Penn State and Michigan State and then go into Iowa, that'll be you know, their biggest game of the year. If you're eight and four and then you go to play Iowa, you beat them and give them their third conference loss or. Yeah, that'd be their third conference loss. And, you know, you'd be right there. Yeah, I want to talk about this Penn State game because that is the next game. I'm not sure if this podcast is going to come out on Tuesday or Wednesday, but this game was just added like over the weekend uh, for the Buckeyes to host on Wednesday, January 27th at 7 p.m. in Columbus. Can you kind of explain what the hell is going on? I assume this is just a COVID scheduling change, but does this make up for a game that I don't think Ohio State had a, and Penn State had a game canceled. Did, did they just move something from somewhere else in the schedule? What's going on with that game? Yeah, their game um, on January 6th was, was postponed with Penn State. Um, okay, okay. It got canceled like the day before or two days before. So Penn State missed like six or seven games, I think. And so they had most of their games rescheduled. Um, Ohio State's was not one of them. I don't know who, how they do that. I'm sure it has to do with who, what your schedules look like and not, you know, preferential treatment or something. But Ohio state was like either the only game or one of the two only games they didn't reschedule and they wanted to get it in, but there really wasn't looking like there was going to be a spot for it. So Ohio state may have just ended the season with 19 big 10 games. And then Michigan completely shut down the other day. They were supposed to play Penn state Wednesday. Um, so, Obviously, you know, Ohio State or one of the two schools got on the phone and said, let's throw this one in there. So they're actually playing in the same time slot um, TV slot as the Penn State Michigan game was supposed to be. Got it. And it worked out for Ohio State because they had like, what, eight days off in a row going from the Wisconsin game on the 23rd to the next previously scheduled game on the 31st against Michigan State. So like that's a long time midseason uh, to be sitting. So I think this actually helps Ohio state, uh, stay fresh. Cause you never want to have eight days off as, as great as it sounds to rest. Like that really makes you rusty, especially coming into a game against Michigan state that you should be able to win this season. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. So if we say let's run through the rest of this Ohio state schedule and finish it here, Penn state is winnable. Michigan state is winnable. Iowa. Let's chalk that up as a loss. Maryland. How, how do you feel about, uh, going to Maryland on February 8th? 
I don't think Maryland's that great. Um, and I also don't think that the the playing on the road is as big a deal this season it's as it absolutely. has before, especially with this team, which, you know, it looks like they get up for road games and they're like more prepared for road games. So I don't know if it's a, it's a gimme win. I would say the only gimme win in this conference is in the big 10 is Nebraska, but um, Maryland, I feel like you, that's a, that's a game they have to win. Yeah. If they, if they want to be a top like four team in the conference, they have to win that game. Yeah, so you've got Maryland. The next game is against Indiana, um, who is a decent team. They're nine and seven, but I mean their losses have been to good teams. Again, that's in Columbus, but I don't know that that matters. But that is, I assume, we're going to chalk that up to a win, as a win anyway. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, I think that Ohio State's probably a better team than Indiana, and being at home again, that's a that's a game that should win. If Ohio State wants to be considered top of the conference, you have to win that one. Yeah. Okay, so then they so the next game other than Iowa that we feel like Ohio State might not be able to win is on February 21st, or maybe not that they can't win, just that they maybe aren't favored in, is when they are supposed to host that team up north. Who knows if that game actually happens? But if that game does actually happen and Michigan is healthy and they're able to actually be the team that they have been for most of this season, what do you think that matchup is? Uh, is like because this will be the only time all season that these two teams play. So it's hard to, it's not like they had a game to go watch film from early in the season to kind of make adjustments for. That's going to be a really good game because you have, I mean, Michigan's got, so they have Hunter Dickinson. If you've watched any Michigan, he is a 20 year old freshman. um, And he basically played like an all American for like the first three weeks of the season. He was like their best player, best scorer. Um, and he's like seven foot one, I think. And he's left-handed. Not that it has to do anything, but just in there, he's lefty. Um, and I don't think Ohio State has anybody that could guard him one-on-one either. Kind of like the Kofi Coburn situation. So Michigan has the head up there, I think with matchups and they have shooters, they have livers. Um, they have Eli Brooks, um, they have shooters too. So I think Michigan talent wise and matchup wise has the advantage, but then kind of like you said, they're traveling to Columbus to play. And also how long would they have been active playing basketball before that game? Uh, Did they just pick up a ball a week beforehand or two weeks? I don't know. So that game could be, I mean, that could be a, like a crapshoot, like take your pick unless, unless Michigan starts playing sooner than we think. But you know, when they come back in February, um, how rusty are they going to be? We don't know. Okay, so we'll call that one a uh, a draw. So that means, um, based off the games that we're up to so far, we have given Ohio State one, two, three, four, five wins uh, and two potential losses against Iowa and Michigan. Uh, so let's say they even drop both of those. They're five and two. They then finish the season with Michigan State, which I think they can win, so six and two. But then those last two games going into the Big Ten tournament are – rough because they hope they host both but again who cares but they have iowa and then they finish the season against illinois who you know is going to come into columbus really really pissed after they lost at home in the way that they did earlier this month yeah i think if you split those i think if you split those two games at home that'll be looked at as a success um I think that, again, I've already talked, we already talked about Iowa. I think Iowa is phenomenal. I think that they're a much better team than Ohio State. Please prove me wrong. Um, I think that they're a much better team than Ohio State, and I think they're the perfect, like, antithesis to the Buckeyes. I think they're the worst possible matchup for Ohio State. Um, And even if they play at home, I don't know if they can beat them. Um, And then Illinois is a really 
I love watching Illinois. I think that in terms of just like pure talent, they're Illinois, fun, yeah. they're the best team in the Big Ten as far as talent goes. But they're not showing it on the court. Like they're almost playing with an attitude of like, oh, we know we're good. We just need to get to the tournament. Um, so I think that I would give Ohio State a better chance of beating Illinois, especially with it on senior day. I know there's no yeah. fans, but it'll be senior day against Illinois again. I give them a better chance of beating Illinois than Iowa. Um, but if you split those two, I think that'll be looked at as a success. And if we're doing the math right, I think that means they would finish 13 and seven by our predictions yeah. here. Yeah. And of course, that's not going to happen. I mean, like <laughs> they could finish 13 and seven, but I mean, like we're not going to be right. There's going to be weird things happen. Um, we know that. But like 13 and seven in the Big Ten is is pretty damn strong. Um, and so that would put them at 19 and seven to, so to get to 20 wins, they just need to one po- win, put one postseason game. So Connor, I'm going to get you out on this question with no context. I don't want to know how they got there. I don't want to know how it happens, but in what capacity does Ohio state's season end? Who do they end it against? And what's the final score of their last game of the season? Oh my gosh. Um, that is uh that's so specific for such a uh i know off the dome just give me your thoughts give me your prediction i think that they as of right now say sweet 16 and i think um man sweet 16 probably losing the sweet 16 so get past that first weekend for the first time in three years would be you know a success i think for them and I can't think of a specific team off the top of my head, but probably some team that's built like Purdue that has a, like a really good center at the base of it that's just going to blow up on them. Um, you know, and maybe Ohio State has another bad day shooting the three-pointers because usually when they hit a few, they get confident and then they go ice cold. But I'd say Sweet 16 is the most important part there, and I think that would be a success if they make it that far. Currently, Joe Lenardi's bracketology would have them in the Sweet 16 against number one Baylor. Um, so I think that that, kind of tracks with uh with what you're thinking there because they are uh he has them as the number four seed in one region and with baylor as the number one so that would be a pretty interesting uh sweet 16 matchup against uh against uh against baylor there so All right, Connor, thank you so much for all of that. I always love talking basketball with you because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but you really do. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Connor, where can people find you on the social media? Uh, Twitter. I I think I told you last time I changed my handle so it's easier to find. Thank it's you. just at Lamans underscore Connor. It's L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. Um, and then, uh, you know, on at, at land grant 33 dropping, you know, Thank basketball you. content as much as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, if you are finding this episode on land grant, holy please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget, as Connor said, to follow land grant, holy land on Twitter at land grant 33. And you can find me at BWW Matt. Thank you everybody for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always go bucks. <laughs>